Hoyer's Weekly Roundtable continues. Chris Maddox of SI.com at NBC Sports Radio. I hear you have your uh, own show now. Is that true? I do. Every uh, Sunday night from uh, 3 to 6 Pacific on uh, NBC Sports Radio. Is it just uh, NBA or do you venture into no, other we touch on we touch on all stuff. I mean, it, certainly NBA is more my wheelhouse, but uh, over the last... A uh, few months, I've tried to educate myself as best as possible on uh, all things uh, sports. Now, now, as I watch um, I'll, another network that I won't mention who they are, uh, they they seem to focus on three teams in the NBA. Uh, one is located south of Golden State. One is located right near you, a few blocks away from you, and the other is located in South Florida. Uh, but to me. Uh, this is a year where there's all kinds of, of interesting stories going on uh, around the NBA. And I'm going to start with Memphis because I want to get your take. I think, I think Memphis is a really good basketball team. I, I think that at the start of the year I thought they had a chance maybe to take that next step, get to a conference final and see what happens. And maybe, you know, if they get, if they get the right matchup or, the, or they get, uh, say, an Oklahoma City on a bad week or whatever, they might have a chance to move forward. Because I really like their combination, but but it seems like whether it be strictly finances or other reasons, the new ownership has a different idea. And in fact, as we're talking, the Memphis Grizzlies and the Toronto Raptors apparently are very close to a deal that would send Rudy Gay to the Raptors, according to ESPN.com. The Grizzlies would acquire forward Ed Davis and veteran guard Jose Calderon from the Raptors and then move Calderon to a third team. Now, that third team could be Detroit. Apparently, they are debating whether or not to send Tayshaun Prince or Austin Day to the Grizzlies to acquire Calderon as part of the deal. The Dallas Mavericks were also interested in the deal, but they refused to get rid of veteran swingman Vince Carter and also Hamed Haddadi, the reserve center for Memphis, apparently is going to end up in Toronto. So stay tuned for the particulars of the Rudy Gay trade, which apparently will have him become a Raptor. What do you see going on with the Grizzlies? Well, most of the decisions being made in the Robert Para era uh, so far have been financial. Uh, the trade that dealt Maurice Spates and Wayne Ellington uh, to Cleveland was strictly a financial move. They gave a first-round pick away so Cleveland would take those salaries on, off their hands and they would be able to get under the luxury tax apron. Now uh, I've been hearing uh, you know, a, a lot of activity heating up about a possible Rudy Gay trade maybe to Toronto, which could go down within the next week, uh, maybe even sooner than that. Uh, they seem very determined to uh, to look out for this team's long-term financial interest, and uh, i got to be honest with you, I'm pretty disappointed in seeing that because I felt that before that trade to Cleveland that this uh, Memphis team had to be one of the top two or three favorites to win a championship in the entire NBA. I mean, they had size up front. It had improved play at the point guard position for Mike Conley. Um, their their depth was exponentially improved with the return of Darrell Arthur to help this year, the addition of Ellington, who even though he's cooled off a little bit with the shooting in the last month, is um, still considered one of the better uh, outside shooters um, you know, on that team. And, and also the development of Jared Bayless as well and the addition of him to that roster. I, I just felt that this Memphis team was poised to make a run in the postseason. Now, you know, with the depletion of that roster with the recent deal and the possible trade of Rudy Gay, I just wonder what the direction of that team is, and I wonder where they're going to go. And certainly I feel like they've weakened themselves by dealing Spates and, and Ellington, and they would, in my opinion, drop off the map if they wound up dealing uh, Rudy Gay at some time in the next couple of weeks. What do you hear that they would get back from Toronto for Gay? 
Well, I've heard a variety of uh, of things. I mean, there's, there's what Memphis wants and what's realistic. I mean, I've heard Jose Calderon's name mentioned uh, in the deal. Uh, I know that uh, I know that Memphis wants uh, Terrence Ross, the rookie that they have uh, with, with the Raptors. I've heard the Raptors are not willing to give him up. Uh, you've heard Andrea Bargnani's name mentioned uh, in a possible deal there. So right now the situation is is pretty fluid. Um, but either way, uh, no matter what they get from Toronto, they're not going to get a player that measures up to what Gay can do. Um, you know, as, as much as we're upset or, or people are upset that Gay has uh, slipped a little bit as far as shooting percentages go, I mean, he went from, say, the I think it was the high 40s a couple of years ago to the low 40s this year. He still is an elite one-on-one player. And I was at the game they played against Philadelphia the night before last, and, you know, Gay was the one that came up with a game-winning shot. And that's uh, that's what he does. He's a big, strong, athletic, small forward who can shoot the basketball. Um, uh, and I think that you know losing him from your team takes a major offensive weapon away from them. So regardless of what they get from the Raptors, I just think that that dealing Rudy Gay is going to make them significantly worse, no matter what. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, Chris Mannix SI. And of course, you're talking about Rudy Gay, and I always felt that he. You know, for whatever flaws he has, he's one of those guys who's not afraid to take that big shot, and I think that's a that's a great quality to have uh, in the NBA. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Let's go to Boston. Rayshon Rondo is out for the year. I mean, that changes everything. If you're Danny Ainge, do you blow this up, or do you stay loyal and make sure that Paul Pierce retires as a Celtic? Well, I think Danny will kick the tires on every possible scenario. Um, you know, Danny's not been afraid to deal Paul Pierce in the past. Uh, you go back about three years, um, and there was a trade with Portland that was on the table for Paul Pierce. As late as early as last year, they were talking to Brooklyn about a deal that would uh, that would include Paul Pierce. Um, you know, the, the, those trades never happened. But Danny's clearly shown that he's not afraid to to make a major trade that involves Paul Pierce. The question is, you know, what could he get back in return for Pierce or any of the major stars uh, on that roster? I mean, Kevin Garnett at this point is virtually untradeable. He's owed twenty three million dollars over the next couple of years, and even though he's been healthy this season, there's a lot of people around the league that think that Garnett is, is just any moment poised to have some kind of injury because he's playing such major minutes at the center position. He's only three years removed from significant knee surgery, and the, the common school of thought is that at some point Kevin Garnett's body has to fail him, and teams just aren't willing to take on that kind of risk with the guaranteed money Garnett is owed over the next couple of years. Pierce is a much more attractive guy because that contract for next year is only partially guaranteed. Now, Pierce is still playing at a high level, averaging about 18 points a game. And even if he falls off, and even if he's dealt to a team that wants some salary cap relief next year, you can buy him out for $5 million. And that's something that, from the GMs that I've been talking to, is a very appealing part of, of acquiring Paul Pierce. But all that being said, you know, the, the fact that the, the financial landscape has changed, the fact that this the new luxury tax penalties that kick in next year are going to be even more significantly more punitive than they, what they were in years past. Teams just aren't willing, as willing as they used to be, to just arbitrarily take on salary if it makes their team better, which is why I think ultimately at the trade deadline, both Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett will be with the Celtics might make a deal to acquire, uh, acquire someone, be it uh, Marcin Gortat out of Phoenix or another smaller player uh, to play, um, you know, to play to fill in that point guard spot. But I think that Boston's going to try to go the rest of the season with Avery Bradley at the one and keep this core group together at least until the off season when they might decide to reconsider. Now, with with Rondo out, 
it kind of shuffles the deck. And you recently wrote about Philadelphia and about how Andrew Bynum could make a difference. Uh, but but to me, you know, I just can't see. You know, Boston's got a great record without Rondo the last few years, but they always knew he was coming back. You know, he was. There were you know a series of injuries, but they knew eventually he was returning. Now they know he's not coming back, and I think that makes a big psychological difference. So, do you expect Philadelphia, or even a team below? Uh, Philadelphia to get back into the uh, Eastern Conference playoff race as a result of Rondo being out? Well, Philadelphia is the only one I see as realistic. Detroit's played excellent um, in, the, in the last month or so uh, since they got off that horrific start uh, this year. They really started to turn around. But I, don't, I just don't see that team with their youth being able to overcome uh, the gap between Boston and them and make that kind of run uh, in the postseason. And Boston, I think, is not going to just fall off the map uh, with Rondo gone, because Bradley has proven over the last year or so that he is a legitimate player, a legitimate NBA starter in this league, whether it's at the one or the two. Certainly not the playmaker that Rondo is, but an exponentially better defender than he is. And I think you'll see much better ball movement once Rondo is out of the lineup, because a lot of times Rondo tended to dribble the ball into the ground. Uh, he, he racked up big assist numbers with the NBA's leading assist man, but a lot of times he was very much uh, in, in the ball control type of mode, and he only passed kind of at the last minute. Uh, with with shots led to jumpers or open looks around the rim. So I think that the ball movement will increase. The team will still be able to tread water. But Philadelphia can overcome them if they get Bynum back because this Philadelphia team, as ragged as this season has been, I think a lot of their problems become cured if Bynum comes back and, and is the play, 75 to 80% of the player he was in L.A. last season. I mean, they were built this year to play inside out in Philadelphia. They got rid of Andre Iguodala. They let Lou Williams walk as a free agent. They need... Andrew Bynum to be that low post presence so we can open up space for guys like Drew Holiday, for shooters like Evan Turner, even for a guy like Thaddeus Young who can create uh, off putbacks and double teams. I mean, this whole roster was created to play off of a guy like Andrew Bynum. And if he can come back shortly after the All-Star break, I think he can make Philadelphia into a real factor in the Eastern Conference, not just to get into the playoffs, but if Bynum comes back and is healthy, that is going to be a team that nobody wants to play against in the first round of the playoffs because they were a nightmare last year with their athleticism. You plug Andrew Bynum into that mix, and under the assumption that he's healthy, uh, that's going to be a team that could beat you in so many different ways. And they're well coached with Doug Collins uh, as well. Uh, Chris Maddox is our guest from chrismaddoxsi.com and also NBC Sports Radio on Sunday nights. Does anyone want to roll the dice on Josh Smith of the Hawks? Well, I think teams would. You know, Josh is still an elite player um, at his position. I mean, he's maddening at times with his jump shooting. He's frustrating with, with, with many different parts of his game. His attitude's always been in question, but he's still 27 years old and, you know, a tremendous shot blocker, a tremendous scorer when he's around the basket. Um, there's a lot of things that Josh Smith can do that a lot of players in this league can't do. The question is what kind of asking price are the Hawks looking for? And I've been told expressly that it's not going to be a Joe Johnson type of situation. It's not going to be, um, you know, we're just going to deal him as a salary dump because Josh Smith's contract expires at the end of this year. And Atlanta, in a lot of ways, still looks at Josh Smith as a key part of their future. I actually spoke to a source in Atlanta just two nights ago, and, you know, even though that they're, they're undecided at this moment as to what to do with Josh Smith, they have certainly not ruled him out as a long-term piece within this organization. And you've got to remember that Atlanta still holds out hope that they can go out and acquire Dwight Howard in the offseason. And Dwight Howard has a great relationship with Josh Smith, one of their, their, their two uh, good friends in the league, 
as a matter of fact, uh, Josh and, and Dwight, and, and they still think that can work to their advantage if they have any hope of acquiring Dwight Howard in the offseason. It might be a long shot, but Atlanta still believes that's within the realm of possibility. So I, I think there will be plenty of teams that want to acquire Josh Howard. I think I would put Dallas at the top of that list of potential candidates. But I'm not convinced yet, from talking to people in Atlanta, that they're willing to just give him away. You're going to have to come to Atlanta with a significant offer to get Josh Smith from them. Let's go to the Western Conference now, and, and uh, as I, we skip back and forth, and, and who knew that if you ran the offense through Kobe Bryant and made him the passer, that uh, it looked like the Lakers would have found what they needed. Uh, they've been impressive. Well, they seem to have found uh, a formula for this for success, at least in the short term. I mean, they've, you know, Kobe being more facilitator and not shooting the ball as much. I mean, look, the numbers have backed that up for years that when Kobe shoots a lot, they tend not to win, and when he facilitates and passes the ball and reduces his shots, uh, they tend to win. Um, so that's, that's nothing new, but certainly he's taken on almost, uh, and I think Mike D'Antoni said it's sort of an Oscar Robertson-type role with this team where he's, he's scoring in the, you know, the, the high teens, he's passing the ball, he's rebounding the ball, he's really been a jack-of-all-trades for this team, and that's kind of what they need because they have to get all these other weapons going in order to beat some of the better teams in the Western Conference. Now, I'm still going to reserve judgment. Uh, a three-game sample size is simply not enough for me to believe that this Lakers team is for real, that Kobe can keep this up over the course of the rest of the season. They can get back into the playoff mix. Um, you know, They've got a seven-game road trip coming up, and even though they have some soft touches on that schedule, they still have to go to Boston, they still have to go to Brooklyn, they still have to go to Miami at the end of that road trip. I think if they emerge from this road trip with sort of a 5-2, and two, maybe even a 4-3, and three, type of record we can you know we can jump to a conclusion that the lakers might have figured something out but you know it's just as possible and maybe even just as likely that this team struggles during this road trip and reverts back to the team that we saw for the first two months of the season so i think this will be a real defining road trip for the lakers and how they they want to play if they keep this up and are playing this style over the next couple of weeks then you know maybe they've found something but until they do that i think this laker team you still have to reserve some judgment on them now i got to ask you about a team that keeps surprising, and it's the team that I announced for, the Golden State Warriors, even last night, you know, without Harrison Barnes, without Carl Landry, Steph Curry, and Bogut not playing with the back-to-back. They go to Cleveland, who had won four or five and three in a row, and Kyrie Irving was playing, you know, out of his gourd. And the, the Warriors somehow get a road win in, in Cleveland last night, and the, the, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Warriors looking at them uh, from afar. Well, they've been a tremendous surprise, um, no question about it. Um, I, I think the obvious answers are that you know Steph Curry has been healthy. <laughs> he hasn't been healthy for the bulk of his career so far, and now that he has been, we're seeing just what kind of player he was and why so many teams are so high on him uh, coming out of the draft. I mean, he, you know, I, I, I hate to, you know, I, I hate the idea of of, of of saying he should have been in the All Star team only because that means you have to take somebody off, and I still don't know which player deserves to come off on that team. You know, Tony Parker's obviously had a phenomenal year. Chris Paul having a phenomenal year. I mean, in order to put Steph Curry on the team, someone's got to be removed, and I'm not really sure who that is at this point, but that takes nothing away from the type of year that he's had. Uh, been very impressed with Clay Thompson. Uh, you know, his, his second year has been just, he's really having a breakout type of year and earning the respect of a lot of teams and a lot of players uh, around the league uh, for his, his ability to shoot the ball. I mean, I, I've been a big fan of David Lee since his days with the Knicks. Um, you know, I always thought David Lee was an underrated player, and I think this year, in addition to the things he already could do with the scoring, with the rebounding, he's had a little bit of defense, he's been a little more of a facilitator, and been just more of a complete player, which I think has really helped 
not only David Lee, but help this team in general, uh, having him out there on the floor doing so many things. I mean, it's, it's just been a, a really big surprise they've been able to do what they're able to do without Andrew Bogut in the lineup. And now that he's coming back, well, yeah, I mean, this, this Warriors team is not going to be a team that anybody wants to play in the first round of the playoffs because they already can score the basketball. They've been a better defensive team without Bogut this year than they were last year. Now you add a guy who, under Scott Skiles, really emerged as, as a really good defensive player in terms of shot blocking. Uh, you add that to the mix. Um, you know, this is going to be a, an interesting team to watch in the second half of the season. Now, I still want to see how he is incorporated into the lineup, how healthy he is, what he's able to do coming back from that type of injury. But if he's similar to the player we saw in Milwaukee a couple of years ago, uh, you know, this, this team, this Warriors team, has potential to be complete. And if you're going up against them in the playoffs, they're going to be a very difficult team to contend with. Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, you know, the game against Toronto the other night, when he was on the floor, uh, the ball moved, and it reminded me, and again, less flair, not as spectacular, but it reminded me a lot of Sacramento in the 90s and early 2000s, simply because you had a four and a five in Lee and Bogut who could both really pass the ball. And, uh, and it, it resulted in a series of layups and dunks, and, and uh, it, was, it was fun to watch. And, and I, I think uh, you know, it, it almost looked seamless that you know, he got back on the floor and fit right in because I don't think – with with Bogut, he's not a guy that you know. He doesn't need 25 points. He doesn't need. He doesn't command the ball that way. And I think as a facilitator, it'll be a little bit easier. But uh, people have heard yeah. me say that uh, b- before. Uh, before I let you go, um, any. any well, let, me, let me say this: Andrew Bogut's okay. a top five center. When he's healthy, he's a top five center in the NBA. And you know, all you have to do is go back to watch what Skiles did with him in Milwaukee over those last two couple of full seasons. He had him there. I mean, one of the reasons Scott Skiles is not the coach of the Bucks anymore is because they traded Andrew Bogut. And Scott spent so much time and invested so much energy and effort into, into developing Bogut, not just on the offensive end, but the defensive end. He helped make Bogut the player he is today. And when they dumped him for Monte Ellis, uh, I think that really infuriated Skiles and, and, and sort of started the, the, the process of him, being, uh, him going out of town and quitting that team and leaving that team. I mean, Bogut, I mean, I watched you know, a lot of his games in Milwaukee, many of them firsthand, and spent some time talking to that coaching staff out there, and they were determined to make him a better player. They did that, and if he's the player he was in Milwaukee, that is a an all-star caliber addition to this Warriors team. It's really interesting you said that because obviously traveling with the team, when he addressed the media in Milwaukee, uh, he went out of his way to give credit to, to Coach Skiles and said that you know every day that he was working with me to make me better. He in fact he talked about that in his uh, press briefing. That's a real interesting comment. Uh, Chris Mannix, our guest from Chris Mannix SI, and of course uh, NBC Sports Radio on Sunday nights. Uh, I know we've kept you a long time, but let me just give you a, a little bit of the uh, floor here. Any stories that you're looking at here from now through the All-Star break to the end of the year, or any teams or players that you're keeping an eye on? You know, I'm going to head out to Indiana this weekend because Indiana plays Miami on Friday, and that's a team I think is still worth watching. I mean, they played really well against the Pacers, against the Heat last year in the second round of the playoffs, sort of imploded down the stretch, in large part because Paul George wasn't ready for that type of moment. Paul George is an all-star this year. He is an all-defensive team type of player. He's really filled that offensive role that was left, uh, the void that was left when Danny Granger went out of the lineup. I mean, this team is a tough defensive team. I think statistically still the best defensive team in the league in terms of field goal percentage. And if they can find enough offense when Granger comes back, and if they can, they can fold him back in seamlessly, that's a team that I think has, is maybe the only team in the Eastern Conference 
that has a chance to upend Miami uh, in the postseason. I mean, they are that good on both ends of the floor. They're well coached with Frank Vogel uh, at the helm there. And, and like I said, the, just the, the development of Paul George this year has been phenomenal. I'm really interested to see how they play against Miami this week and interested to see how they they play down the stretch once Granger comes back because, I mean, they they were not scared of Miami in those first few games. They were, they're big enough, they're strong enough up front to bully the Heat in the postseason. And now that George has that year under his belt where he's not afraid of the lights, he's not afraid of defending a Dwayne Wade or a LeBron in key situations, um, I think that makes that team exponentially better. So they're, they're really high on my radar in teams to watch in the second half because I think they might be a real dark horse candidate to get to the NBA Finals. Chris, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. We could do I could, I could do this for hours. I know you've got other things to do. Uh, I appreciate uh, your time and, and look forward to chatting with you again and maybe bumping into you somewhere down uh, along the NBA trail. You got it anytime.